Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host, Nick Easter. Today, we'll be talking all things rugby, focusing on the possibility of the new orange cards, whatever that means. Um, Also, the law changes advice from World Rugby to get us back playing rugby. Of course, once again, the salary cap, will it stay forever? We'll also have our international 15 uh, myself, the team, the uh, best uh, world players I played against, against Nick Easter's best international team. But also, we'll be talking to the current uh, captain of the New Zealand team, Sam Kane. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So, Nick, uh, good to see you again. Uh, another week in lockdown or out of lockdown. Um, interesting, your take on uh, Dominic Cummings, which is... Uh, which has overshadowed everything in rugby. I mean, we've got lots to talk about today on this podcast. You know, it'd be interesting to talk about uh, the the players' union um, voting down, saying they don't want to make the pay cut, the twenty five percent pay cut, permanent. So, get your thoughts on that. Um, also, Bristol holding out, wanting to keep the marquee players, and uh, actually coming out and saying that they want to ring fence the Premiership. Uh, we've also got the little matter of the referees. Uh, thinking that maybe having an orange card instead of a red card may be the way forward. So we talk about that. So Dominic Cummings, what's your take on, on the Dominic Cummings fiasco? It's quite funny in a way. It's not... Yeah, it's, it? it's, 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 it's a bit sad, isn't it? People haven't got much to, to moan about, so let's moan about that. Look, there's the angle that he's a loving, caring father and he didn't want to give, you know, he didn't want him and his wife to be really, really sick and have to look after their young, I think, four-year-old son. So he drives them up to where his parents live. And by all accounts, you know, this is what I I understand (laughs) is the truth. On the farm, there's three properties all separated by about 50 metres where his elderly parents live in one, his sister and her family live in another. And he was um, residing at another and he didn't go out um, to the other houses. The sister left food on the doorstep. Yes, we know he visited Barnard Castle, that sort of stuff. Let's not get too bogged down in it. People like someone to shoot down, right? The police say he broke the, you know, he did break lockdown laws. You know, you've mm. got to take what the police said. At the end of the day, mate, when has a politician not lied? They're making out as if they're these archangels, you know, that, that, yeah. never, that always tell the truth and are model citizens. Politicians throughout, throughout history have always, always lied and been hypocrites. You know, you just got to, you just got to look back. So so why people are surprised in this hypocrisy, I'm just like, and outraged at it and everything and calling, you know, calling for the sack. I'm just like, surely you've got something, I know, look, we don't have much to do in lockdown, but you must have something better to do than go on social media and keep your way at this. But the story, the actual story come up with, you know, I wanted to test my eyesight, so I went to Barnard Castle, yeah, no, no, which no. I believe happened to be his wife's birthday or something like that. But, I mean, look, you know, they're going to get pillared, aren't they? And uh, it's funny now, we're looking at all these beaches, absolutely ram-packed, full of people, and yet uh, we've got this crisis, pandemic crisis. So yeah, but you say uh, it's a crisis, mate, and it's not a political podcast, is it? But ultimately, 
you've got to have a balance and look and any death you know is is tragic you know however it's caused and um you know it's, it's, ter- it's tremendously sad as well and impactful on you know the family and loved ones but you know the the sort of wider picture is 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 you know is the is the is the cure worse than the virus or is the virus worse than the cure you know in terms mm. of you know the cure was lockdown you know economy tumbling you know uh, mental health you don't know what's going to go missed operations all of all of the other yeah. sort of on effects and and longer term effects could happen as well you know with you know especially kids at various ages not socially mm. being interactive at school missing out on learning at school you know may you know the the amount of sort of mental yeah. anxiety that's come down about this you know whether it be domestic violence you know whatever it might be you know was the cure or is the cure worse than the virus in terms of the longer term effects and how many people that might affect down the line and how many deaths that might cause you know through whichever way um and and look you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea mate. you're never going to get it right in everyone's opinion you never never ever are mm. and that's just life but uh, i think that's where we're at at the moment isn't it yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a good way of looking at it. But but it, you know, in the background, you can you know, in New Zealand, we speak to Sam Kane later. You know, they're back into rugby, but in a rugby sense, they, they seem to be the sport who are struggling to get to to phase one of training to make it safe. But I was interested to read that um, that, that the clubs are angling and pushing to have this twenty five percent pay cut make it permanent and i believe the rpa uh, voted that down uh, and we know what ellis genge has talked about recently he was very upset to, to find that the players took this pay cut without real sort of i suppose uh, debate and he's looking to set up his own players association so i don't know whether it's a case of the rpa sort of holding, you know, making a firm point that, look, we're in charge and, you know, we Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, 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 a, there's might, might well be a rival to them. And um, the, the, the issue with the RPA has always been that, um, you know, they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them when it really, really comes to going into bat for the players, is it really? Um, you yeah. know, the RPA and Premier Rugby, you know, give them an enormous amount of funding. And, um, you know, if it started getting heating, heated and personal and, you know, there's, yeah. there's the threats of strike action and, you know, it could be costly for them. Um, it, yeah, I, th- I think the players, uh, you know, s- sort of speaking to a few players at various clubs, you know, obviously won't mention them. Um, mm. I think it's just, originally at some clubs it was handled very, very well and they were very transparent and honest with the players. At others, they were sort of, right, this is what's happening and, you know, like it or lump it sort of thing. Mm. And, um, you know, they got some bright, you know, CEOs and lawyers in and all that sort of stuff and saying, well, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, there were mm. threats that, you know, if you force us to pay your full contract, we might have to sell the, you know, what we do is we just put the, the club up for sale and then we'd buy it back for, you know, we'd buy it back and then, you know, we wouldn't have to pay your contract sort of thing. So there are all these sort of veiled threats going around or idle threats, yeah. you know, whatever they may have turned out to be. But, uh, you know, it's not great really when the club's fighting the players. Really, they're your asset. Mm. You've got to look after them. And, you know, look, they do get well rewarded. We know the salaries have, have been climbing, but that's market forces and you've got to deal with that. But you would expect them just to have a little bit more empathy for their position. And... Within that, players having empathy for the club's position, and I think they have. 
Um, there's no income coming in. They're not, but they're not providing the service through no fault of their own of playing rugby um, every mm. single week and representing the, the, the club and all that sort of stuff. And and uh, you know they they've taken they've taken the cut themselves. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, think- yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, isn't it? Because people always talk about they they talk about. Um, you know, rugby being a business and the business model just doesn't work. You know, if you're not basically, if, you, if you're not making money, you're in the red, you know, you're forever losing money and salaries have to come down because they're the greatest, um, you know, they're the greatest expense um, of a rugby club throughout the season. But then you look at football clubs and they are constantly running in the red. And rugby went professional on the back of the football model originally. I mean, you were part of Saracens, yeah. Ray. Um, so John Hall up at Newcastle Mm. Uh, and you need these sugar daddies and benefactors I'm not saying that's the right business model at all I I think it's a little bit whimsical and you know you've got an individual that can just pull out any time and and the other thing is in rugby is you've seen the cost of clubs very very recently in recent history haven't you you know from your West Hartley pools you know Oral who I played for you know they've they've gone into administration twice yeah. Um, Richmond, you know, it's just down the road from me. They've gone into administration and, and you've actually seen it hurt rugby clubs and how damaging it can be. Mm. So at some stage, they've got, to, they've got to come to an agreement on how financially sustainable and how they're going to manage the future of rugby in this country, club rugby. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the biggest problem that the players have in a way is really the going forward with the lack of crowds. I mean, here's here's the, the real dilemma, I think, for the clubs at the moment with the furlough scheme, with with them actually coming back phase one and phase two. The main problem, I believe, is they w- won't have it. I think it's about 20,000 a week to test, so they don't really have the, the money easily to test everyone and make it safe. But also, I think, though, not having crowds, which is the backbone of these clubs, not having crowds is is effectively you've now got the wage bill when it comes back and you haven't got the crowds other than just the TV money. I believe the TV money that they're getting to keep the TV money and not having to hand it back, which is one nice thing that they've got. But I think from a player's perspective, I just remember being in, in, in a room with uh, with all of those Saracens players and we were asked to take a pay cut. And you get one stance, you get one player who will just be like, well, I'm on, a, I'm on a shitload of money. It's all right. 25% is all right. But you get other players who I suppose are thinking, well, I've, I've left South Africa, I've left New Zealand, I've left my home, I've, I've come over here. No, I'm not taking a pay cut. So it's really, really hard, but also a lot of people. I, the, the question, I suppose, is, in a way, is, you know, if you're an Owen Farrell and it's 25%, yeah, it's quite a lot of chunk of money. It, it's, not, it's not that serious to your livelihood. But I think when you're, I think when you're sort of like on a, on a hundred, 80 grand, 70 grand, and suddenly it's 25% off. It, it, it is the difference between paying the mortgage and not. So I kind of, I wonder whether it's going to be the higher earners might take a bigger fall than the, the, the lower earners. It's, it's really hard to know. But the, the question is, 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 will there be a future if the players just, you know, hold firm and say, absolutely not, we're not t- taking a pay cut? Yeah, exactly. And I think there will be a sliding scale and maybe, you know, anyone you know, on 50 grand or whatever or, or less, definitely won't have any sort of cut or whatever. Look, but, you know, yeah. the administrators and then the players' union and the player groups yeah. and the management of the clubs will, will decide on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting in terms of the money that they're missing out on in terms of audiences and they can't wait to get 
people back through the gates because you've also got, you know, corporate hospitality, which yeah. is the biggest ticket sale really for clubs, you know, much more than sort of, you know, just bums on seats. Food yeah. and beverages obviously takes an impact as well. Um, but the TV money is the big money. And this is the interesting thing. There could, look, I'm being quite an optimist here. There could be a lifeline. The, the, the deal's up next, next year. Um, the TV deal's up next year. And people are saying, oh, well, the, the value of the TV is going to decrease. Well, actually, what this is showing, what the Bundesliga showed when it, you know, when it came back two weeks ago and there was a billion people, nearly a billion over the world watching it, um, what's, what it's shown is there might actually be a much bigger demand for live sport. There might be a lot of rugby supporters or people that might have come to the games that still, even if we're over this, you know, coronavirus, mm. still, mm. Um, you know, be scarred by it and don't want to go to a live game and might want to watch it at home. And will, and, you know, BT, Sky, whoever the players in the market are, Amazon, Netflix, you know, that's important. You've got to have the players in the market as well for, you know, to drive the, the bid up is, you know, they'll realise this and subscriptions might increase, you know, one or two pounds or whatever it might be, but that makes a big difference in terms of what they can afford in their bid. And there, there might be a chance that actually this has boosted the potential TV rights, which would go a long way to helping Premiership Rugby and club rugby around the world if you still can't get the crowds to max capacity or close to max capacity as before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a it's a pivotal moment, you know, now with the club, certainly. But I don't know whether you read about Francis Barron, the former chief executive of the RFU, came up with an idea. And I don't know what you think. And I thought, well, hang on a sec. It's not a bad idea if you want to raise a lot of money. He wanted to have another World Cup in 2021 yeah. with all the major nations have a sort of mini world cup whatever you call it a mid world cup yeah yeah yeah. and he thought you know and, and actually thought maybe it would bring in about three to four hundred million which which actually would probably save quite a lot of the unions and i think obviously to do that they'd have to get release from all the clubs and in effect the clubs would end up getting paid off and make a lot of money from it so yeah, it's exactly. it's innovative ways isn't it but i i'm not sure I'm not sure France would be happy who are holding the World Cup in 2023. I'm not sure they'd be happy of, of diluting their product in 2023. No. But anyway, it's innovative ways, actually, to earn money in this game. And I think everyone's just got to be open to sort of, you know, change and doing things differently. They have got to be open to change, mate. And, and just going back to what you're talking about in terms of the players is, you know, unlike in football, where there is another place to go, if your club's not paying you your contract, you're a free agent, you can go. And, you know, they'll think nothing about knifing another club or another chairman in the back or whatever it might be to get their player. Rugby doesn't do that. But also, where would they go? So if you're a highly paid player at, you know, I don't know, Leicester or, or Quinns or Wasps, but the top 14 have decided they're going to reduce the amount of money, Pro 14 are struggling even more, you're not going to go to some hemisphere all the other clubs in the Premiership are, you know, tightening their reins. You've actually got to have places to go to fulfil, you know, to have the threat of, right, if you're not paying my contract, you know, I'm going to leave. Mm. Um, whereas I think the whole, you know, the, globally rugby is in the same boat and I think people have got to pull together. But it's how it's done. It's got to be open. It's got to be transparent. It's got to be reasonable, as we spoke about, depending on, you know, where the guys are in the pay grade. Um, but Australia, look, have, Australia have done it slightly differently. They've just sacked those three players who refused to take pay cuts, haven't they? I mean, pretty brutal, but doggy dog at the moment, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that's I'm incredibly selfish and, um, you know, immoral from them, to be honest, to not see the wider picture. You know, Rugby Australia was struggling anyway. Yeah. Last thing, and I think they were on the brink of a new TV deal, which was a big one, and uh, suddenly they went into lockdown and that they missed out on that, so they were even more financial strife. And, you know, they haven't made a good name for themselves, those three players, that's for sure. And uh, no. you know, they're, they're taking a stand, but you've got to understand you know, the, the, the reasons behind everything, really. And they just haven't. They've just looked, you know, internally at themselves and their own situation and just gone. And I think, uh, you know, one or two of the senior guys there have taken one or two of the youngsters as well. <laughs> but uh, look, it, you know, as you say, you've got to be open to the idea. Rugby, you know, you mentioned it before. What is it? Championship and, and, and Premier League football are looking to come back. But they've got the money to spend on testing, for example. You know, yeah. three or four times a week. You know, I don't know how much it's going to cost. £100 a test. You can do the maths yourself. But a lot of money. Whereas Premiership Rugby, I'm not sure if they've paid for any tests. I think they're waiting to see what happens in New Zealand. They're waiting to, with the rugby there. They're waiting to see what happens with the contact situation in football and going to troubleshoot on the back of, you know, the experiences of other people who are sort of innovating. And it's probably, given the situation, the only the only option for them. Yeah, and it's interesting now, though, that, that, that we're hoping that, I mean, if any sport can come back, I think rugby will be one of the last ones to make it safe. But it's interesting to hear the World Rugby talk about, you know, what they think uh, clubs need to do. Um, and suppose, I suppose they've left it to the unions to to use their own discretion. But it sounds like there's going to be no no resetting um, of the scrums. It's just going to be free kick. And it'd be interesting to get your take on whether teams will just collapse the first scrum and just you know give away the the first free kick anyway. You know we know how uh, you know teams like to sort of bend the rules a little bit. They might, if you're playing against a really big pack, you might as well just drop the first scrum and let them have a free kick. But also they're talking about making a tackle um, below the the waist. So there's no face-to-face tackling. So there's, you know, less risk of transmission. Um, and the other one was... This is, this, is, this is in professional rugby. Yeah, in professional rugby. And then the other one is that they're still looking at the transmission rate you know, whether they can sort of reduce. I think it's the, the the idea is to get it under 15 minutes of face-to-face contact. I think they lose 30% by having no resets of the scrum, so that will help. I think the tackling, making it below the waist, will mean that there won't be uh, uh, upright tackles and contact there and double tackles. And then the other one is potentially on the ruck and the mall, limiting the numbers. But, you know, I think that if they can get the... Uh, transmission or contact time under 15 minutes then it's it's safe or much safer so those are things they're talking about bringing in which they probably probably will do It'd be interesting whether the resetting scrums might stay for a while which a lot of people think but the other one is the is the tackling i quite like the idea of low tackling because in a way uh, it might well free up um you know attacking teams to you know, get an offloading offloading game going, and then the defences will line differently. Look, every team when there's a, a rule change will sort of will work out a strategy that best suits them. So it'd be interesting if this is a moment where we might see rugby slightly differently. Yeah, and I, I'm. They're guessing, mate. They're guessing this. This 15 minutes of no contact time. They don't know, mate. This is this is so new to yeah. the world. It's a complete guesswork. And I don't know whether it's just, you know, people in a room making out, right, we've got to be seen to be doing something. Mate, one scrum, 
Right. Let's see. Let's just say you have eight scrums in the game, right? Yeah. You're going to have more than that. You have eight scrums in the game. You're not allowed to reset. That's eight scrums in the game. That, that, that's enough anyway, if there is transmission to transmit, whether you reset them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of times you come into contact with people in the rucks, you're going to be head-to-head in the malls. You're going to be head-to-head despite there being limited numbers. You know, when you're in a kick chase, you're going past people and you're jostling for position. Um, as I say, mate, it's it sounds like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's been created to sort of sound like, yeah, like we're trying to do our best to make sure it's as safe as possible so you don't get any, you know, any sort of uh, people accusing them of just refusing to change. But you've just got to be careful on too much change because otherwise it just won't be the game. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. won't, it won't be rugby. You just call it something else then because we've spoken before, you know, forget that there is a virus out there. We've spoken before about the actual need to empower the scrum. Now, we all agree that the scrum is taking too long. The resets, there's far too many resets. But let's also remember that if you looked at a game, and there's been plenty shown on TV, actually, um, in the last sort of 10 years, the scrums are in a far worse place than they are now in terms of resets, charging in, resets, charging in. So the actual... The safety of the scrum is miles better. The contest of the scrum is is better. We do need to speed it up. And in my opinion, with, with regards to scrum, and this has got nothing to do with the virus because there's more qualified people to talk about that. And as I say, I, I think they are guessing because they don't really, really don't know and why, and how can they? But just in regards to the game, why not have a stop clock? These guys are meant to be the fittest they've ever been, right? They're sports, you know, spread over the field. Right after 30 phases of play, there's a knock on. The referee, as soon as he calls scrum, you've got 30 seconds to get your setup right. Because I know from coaching forwards that what you do spend a lot of time on is making sure you get your setup right. And a lot of teams now, their rest period, you know, they do it as a tactic. You know, I've, I've used it as a tactic, told our teams to do it. Is scrums, you slow down at scrum time. That's when you get your breath. Yeah. All those front fives and everything, that's when you get your breath, you check your studs, all that sort of stuff, right? is you've got 30 seconds to set up. And, you know, whoever transgresses, that's a free kick. They can choose to scrum again. If they if they don't get set up again in 30 seconds, you take a forward off. Yeah. For two minutes or however long the next phase of play goes, basically, whichever yeah. is the longest. And, yeah, I know this has got nothing to do with the virus and the contact and all that sort of stuff, but I know it's an issue in the game because what you don't want to do, Brax, is devalue the scrum. Because if you devalue right. the scrum, we've spoken about this before at length, you get more and more hybrid players. You'll virtually have 110 kilogram props. They're able to run around, make loads of tackles, and actually, you get that stalemate when the game is in phase. Yeah, and you don't get your valued big lump props, big lump second rows, who, when it comes to the mall and the scrum, are worth their weight in gold and highly valuable. But yes, they can get exposed in the other parts of the game. So you bring it back to you know. The, the essence of the game of rugby really for all shapes and sizes and it suits everyone and there's different facets where yeah. there's strengths and weaknesses and um, but I'm with you. going back to the virus thing mate as I yeah. say uh, you know obviously it's yeah. guesswork you know everyone knows that but I'm not sure if you've got 10 scrums in the game right no resets but you've had 10 scrums <laughs> I know yeah, yeah, I you've know had 10 mean, scrums yeah, 10 yeah. opportunities to pass it on so yeah, yeah. I don't know the science. The, somehow the science. I don't know whether you know Simon Kemp. I think he's part of this as well. But there's phase one and phase two. But 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 what they want to do is get the contact below 15 minutes in a game. But as you say, 
once you're grappling and man-hugging someone, I mean, it's... it's, it's so you're it's, not allowed to celebrate as well. They're saying we're going to, you know, huddles and celebrations are going to be reduced as well. So. Do we really do that anyway? Are, the, are they going to listen? Are they going to listen, yeah. mate? You score a try in the last minute to win a game yeah, or a drop goal, you're not going to be like, well, I'm not going to touch him. I'm not going to be my teammate. Just just a bit of a left field before we talk about potentially the new uh, the new orange card that uh, Nigel Owen is, seems to be a big fan of is I just saw on Twitter last night, I was going to mention it to you, but um, Andre um, Esterhusen, who you coach, he's, he's shown a bit of love on Twitter for you. Have you seen that? You yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's a good seen lad. That? He's a good lad. Of course, he's, of course lad. he's a good lad. He's just, he's properly saying, oh, he's a great guy and off the pitch, he's amazing and he's an awesome coach and I learned so much from him and he's amazing. I mean, have you literally paid him to say those words? Mate, mate, <laughs> I, mate I don't think I've spoken to him since I left South Africa, mate. You know, that's just the really? impression I leave. That's just the, that's yeah. just the, the vibe I give, pal. But, what, the P- mate, I'll tell P-45, you what, he is. The P45. Mate, I'll tell you what, though. He is, um, that's, a, that's a great signing for Quinns. He's, uh, you know, that, that centre partnership with Joe Marchant and, and, you know, they've got Tapawai and Laziki in there. And, you know, I know we're going a little bit off script, but he's going to bring a lot to the uh, lot to the Premiership. Good signing, then. Good signing. Yeah, he, he got that in early, did he? I, mean, I presu- presume he signed before the lockdown and the <laughs> wage cuts. <laughs> so let's just talk, I mean, I don't know. Look, this, this thing about the orange card, for those who don't know, is the potential referees Nigel Owens in favour of potentially using this this orange card which seems to me a bit of a cop-out in a way because I think I think you know at the moment I think the yellow card and the red card and the red card has been used wisely and effectively over the last year um, the yellow card is obviously you know it does have an effect on the game a player goes off but the red card has a real big effect on a game uh, a matter between winning and losing. We've seen it in World Cups. We've seen it in Six Nations. How important it is. Bro, but it seen it, mate. You've seen it with France in the last World Cup oh, when they lost yeah. to Scotland in the Six Nations. Yeah. yeah. So, so in a way, I don't know whether this need for an orange card is really necessary. I think the nice thing, they're finding their way about this red card. Um, and to introduce now an orange card, which is where the offence seems slightly less uh, dangerous potentially but then on the letter of law it's a sending off and therefore perhaps there was maybe a lack of intent and and they're sort of like coming up with strategies that maybe there might be you know knowing that a red card is effectively going to to make make the, the team with more numbers on the pitch win they don't want to affect it so much and therefore we'll have this sort of you know not you've got you've got red Yellow and orange. Well, you got red, green, and orange now. It's like a traffic light. So it's going to be really weird. Going is that orange? Is it? Is it a yellow? Is it a red? What do you think? Well, I'm colourblind, so I'd struggle with that. <laughs> I wouldn't know what card I was given. Um, if I was still playing, um, yeah. So as you say, it's sort of to give them 15 minutes, isn't it? So the TMO gets 15 minutes to study the incident, yeah. and if it's a red card, then the player stays off. If it's not. Yeah and you lose the player 15 minutes. And you sort of think, well, hold on a second. If it's not, why has he been punished for five minutes longer? Yeah. Than, or are you saying that this is actually an in-between punishment? But it's not an in-between punishment because they're saying <laughs> actually it could be a red card. Uh-huh. And the other thing I'll say is, it doesn't matter how much of an expert that TMO is, whether he's played the game the highest level before and, you know, he knows the laws, um, you know, like the back of his hand. 
is you're still debating red cards the week after a game, whether it was or wasn't. You know, we come on this podcast, for example, on a Monday or a Tuesday, and we're still talking about infringements, and we've studied it. And you've you've heard expert opinion elsewhere in the media, you know, pundits, your mates, you've been on the phone, and you're still not sure whether it was a red card or a yellow card or whatever the case may be. So how they're going to decide, and it's going to be a clearer decision and um, within 15 minutes of, you know, a high-intensity, you know, test match, you know, European game, club game, whatever it might be. And I know they're away in the truck and all that sort of stuff, but still they're under pressure to come up with the decision. I don't know, mate. It's, it's again, I come back to it, you know, some some committees like to be seen to be doing things, you know, to, to make out that they're actually performing their role, whereas sometimes... You know, I'm not saying maybe in this case, but sometimes it's best to leave well alone and, and things are actually in the right place. We just seem to, in rugby, always think that the grass is greener. Whereas, mm. you know, you look at other sports, how often do they change the rules? How often do they bring in new, you know, new cards or, or whatever it might be, you know, across the world? Nowhere near as much as in rugby. Nowhere near. And, and certainly not debated as much as in rugby. Yeah, I, I, I think they're just finding their way with the red card with the offences, and I think it's working quite well. The brand new rugby podcast, Rocket, with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. On Friday, myself and Kieran will be joined by new All Blacks captain Sam Kane. Here's a quick teaser on what to expect. Leadership's one of those things that, uh, you know, you're not, you're not born with it, but you sort of just learn and evolve along the way. And I've got no doubt that um, being exposed and having, you know, roughly eight years, four and four with each, uh, has helped mould my leadership. And uh, I'd like to think I'm uh, a leader who's pretty inclusive. I like <clears throat> I like to hear other people's thoughts and ideas before, and and I sort of use that to help form my own to some extent as well. Rocket, Kieran Bracken, Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. So, so um, with Sam Kane on, um, it's a great opportunity to talk about the best players that we ever played against international team, and, and and what we'll do is we'll 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 get my team against your team. Uh, our careers nearly overlap, so there may be one or two. Actually, no, I don't think there's many in here who you will have played against. So I'm going to give you my my fifteen. So one of the best fullbacks I ever played with was uh, Kristen Cullen. I mean, what a player he was. Uh, he, he could just create something out of nothing. Not quite like Jason Robinson, but he had some wheels, man. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he had some serious wheels. The other one, I suppose never really, apart from the World Cup semi-final against New Zealand, where he ran through the whole team. Jonah Loma, I played against him a few times. I bounced off him a few times. Um, so he was on my wing. He was just, He was just phenomenal. I mean, an icon. I mean, you know, the first of its kind, um, you know, made his name in the 95 World Cup. So he's on my on my wing. The other winger, you'd be surprised, the other player I always struggled to play against, who I thought was amazing, he came from Rugby League, was Twigamala. Um, came from Wigan, played for Newcastle. I mean, what a player he was. I mean, he was just phenomenal. My centres I really struggle with. I don't know what you think. I mean, I... I I mean, Philip Seller, I've got Philip Seller and Tim Horan in there. Philip Seller, it was, you know, so nimble, so quick. 
Tim Hoare, uh, you know, a real thinker, really intelligent player. But then I remembered I played against Brian O'Driscoll a few times, who was a bit of a wizard. So I really, I'm just going to go nostalgia. I'm going to go <laughs> Philip Seller and Tim Hoare in, in the centres. I've got Dan Carter at fly half and the best number nine who I ever played against, Jus van der Vestesen. Uh, rest in peace. That guy was something else on the pitch. He was amazing. Now, my pack, I think you'll appreciate it, who I've picked in the back row. I've got Zinzan Brook at number eight. I've got Richie McCaw at seven. Um, actually, uh, no, sorry, yeah. Zinzan at eight, uh, Richie McCaw at seven, Francois Pinar at six. So that's that's one hell of a big back row, isn't it? Maybe not that much balance, but it's... Uh, no, it's got balance there. It's got balance there. <laughs> My my second row, Rose. I don't know whether you you will remember. He's probably a kid when you uh, watched him play. But uh, John Eels, remember that? Chat? Oh yeah, yeah, no, I remember John. Yeah, 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 yeah. He used to take the nobody. take the piss. Nobody. Yeah, nobody, nobody's perfect, and he's perfect. But he used to uh, goals, the hilarious, goal. hilarious thing. Watch the second row in his ankle boots, just go and kick a goal. It's just phenomenal. I mean, that's never going to happen again. But that was great. Victor Matfield, the other second row. No, that's a poor second row combo, mate. They're both line out options. Oh, they've got no bruises, mate. You got no bruises no, in there. Mate, no, I was going to think. You just, of, mate, uh, all you, mate, you've just got a couple of pencils pushing in the scrum. Maybe mate. I could have had Abdel Benazi in there, but um, that would be a bit more balanced. But no. Um, so the front row: Os Durant, uh, Keith Wood, and Califano. So that's my front row. So it'd be interesting. I mean, you, you, you. I reckon you're picking this team in your head right now. Oh, right? mate, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't studied it. Um, right, so let's go. Lou said prop. Um, I'm going to go with the big ox, Ostu Rent. Yeah. Ostu Rent. Um, big, big man. Two World Cups. Um, hooker. I'm going to go William Serbat. France. Oh, okay. Oh, um, right. I mean, they... The French cause us the most problems at scrum time. I was both bring them yeah. 100%. And um, I'm going to go for him. Tight head, flipping it, and I'm scratching my right. You know, Carl Heyman, yeah, yeah, very good. Um, Nicola Mass was unbelievable for a period, again, from a yeah. scrum perspective. Didn't do what Carl Heyman did around the park. Um, who, have you got, who else have you got? Adam Jones was a good player, you know, in his time yeah, as well. Yeah. Let's go, because I reckon I've probably got a few Kiwis, right, um, elsewhere. Again, I'm racking my brains, thinking on the spot. Let's just go, because I don't think I'd have another Welshman in there. Let's go with Bomb. Okay. The old mate from Queens. Let's go with Bomb at Tighthead. Who did you have at Tighthead? Uh, well, I you can't I, even remember, right? So I win that. Calif- one. I got Califano, Califano, and um, Osdurant, <clears throat> mate. I know, don't they're worry. both loose heads, aren't they? No, 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 I'm, 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 I'm sticking with them. <laughs> it's all mate, the same. Got, your front five is terrible. You've got uh, two well, pencil locks in the second row, right? You've got, <laughs> you've got no set piece, you've got no maul or scrum. It's not your anyway, opinion, look, it's the public's. No, no, okay, it's the public, but we've got to educate the public because they might not know some of them. Some right. of them will know, you know, more than us, but others might not. Um, so who have I said? Adam Jones, right. This one's easy. Partnership, back his boat to Victor Matfield. Um, yeah, oh. I played against that Springbok side. Two South Africans, right? 07, okay. to, 07 to 11, they were just... 
they were the best side in the world, mate, to be <coughs> that period. Um, and I've gone, I've gone Southern Hemisphere again, um, back row, and I've gone another South African, arguably, the, well, the best back rower I played against, Juwan yeah. Smith at Blindside. Who? Um, Richie McCaw, Kieran Reid. So, so what's the other one? I didn't get the photo, was it? Ju- South Africa. Juan Smith, Juan Smith. All right, okay. Blindside. World-class right. player, mate. Yeah, yeah. Player. Unbelievable player. Um, Who's your uh, nine? Who's your Richie, nine? Richie McCaw and you know, I got my Kieran, Kieran Reed. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Centres, I know my centres. Centres are non and no Driscoll. So I won't okay. spend too long on that. Great balance right. again. You've got no balance in your centres, mate. Uh, you've, got, <laughs> mate you've got no balance on your nostalgia. wings. I've mate, got, you've got, got no balance on your wings. They're just too <laughs> big trucking up. Where's your gas yeah. and your guile and your footwork? Uh, uh, who needs? I lie, actually. I lie. I'm actually going to select him. I am going to pick another Welshman. I'm going to select Shane Williams on one. Oh, right. Okay. Um, straight, oh, Dan Carter at 10. So that's a, that's a gimme. Get Dan Carter at 10. Nine. Flipping. Oh, he gave problems at nine. French nines are always... The Petit Generals boys, was it Para, Yashvili? Oh no, God, yeah. nine? Are you kidding? Furry Dupree. Oh yeah. Oh, he was, oh yeah. Again, yeah. part of he that was, South African side. Yeah, he was sharp. Mate. He was sharp. You look at World Cup final, you look oh, at amazing. second best Lions, he's the man of the match. Yeah. He's yeah. the man of the match. I know he probably wasn't officially the man of the match, but Right. His game game decision-making execution was second to none, whether it be quick tap, pass, box kick, whether he had a little run and brought the forwards on yeah. to him. Wonderful player. No, that's an easy decision. Fruit Dupree and Dan Carter, blow yours out of yeah. water, mate. Who's on the wing then? Right, I've said Shane Williams, so I've got to have probably a little bit of ballast. The Kiwi wings are bloody good, weren't they? Sivivatu. Never played against Alfau. Right. Never played against him on the international scene. Um, but Sivivatu on one wing and fullback. Come on, come on, come on. Think of um so what about so New Zealanders? Um I can't Benz- who's who's no. fullback? You see Ina, I think, most of the time when I was playing, maybe. Um yeah. he played he had a number of games, didn't he, for him? Percy Montgomery, and then I think they sort of had a few fillers, South Africa. Australia, I'm going to Australia. I wanted to get Gitto in there, you know, in my centres, but I couldn't, I had to pick Nonu. Couldn't have yeah. Gitto and O'Driscoll. I wanted to just pick Nonu and O'Driscoll, you know. Yeah, I think that's yeah, why. Go forward, a bit of physicality in there. Um, half penny was fullback for Wales, Liam Williams. Scotland, no, definitely not Scotland. <laughs> oh, I don't know I don't know um, who haven't I picked what country haven't I picked Italy what was their uh, fullback like <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> hold on who was uh, who was the Aussie fullback when I was playing not Falau I did play against Falau well there you go Falau no, let's go with Falau then. yeah let's I think go. that's a good selection I've just, I think well, I've Bill, Curly I've Bill just... Curly Bill Curly Beer? Oh, right. Curly Beer. I'm just going to talk mine up a little bit here. There's a good blend in terms of nationalities. I managed to get an Irishman, a Welshman, a Frenchman, and an Australian. 
supplemented by plenty of Kiwis and Saffers, who were the dominant sides when I played, and usually are. My balance in the centre and balance on the wing, second row, and the fact I've actually got a tight head and not two loose heads, means my team blows yours out of the water every single time they play against each other. You might win a few more lineouts, but you're not going to go anywhere with them. Well, I think what you'll find is, though, that um, some of these players were, at the time, World Players of the Year. Tim Horan, I think it was in 99, was it 90? Which World Cup did he, he, he got player of the tournament? Yus van der Vestes and scoring machine, Dan Carter. I think my back row is is, uh, is pretty powerful. Um, I think I've got a nice blend of power and pace. I uh, I think Jonah Lomu. You've got Jonah Lomu, man. I'll give you that. You've got Jonah, big Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who did so I say? I said uh, Christian yeah, Cullen, so... mate. Christian Cullen was just a wizard. I think I've just, yeah, I've just picked the Barbarians team. Who, no matter what you, to no be fair, mate, you, Christian so... Christian Cullen when he came on the scene, '96, was it '96? Just something else with me. Something else. Yeah, amazing. Oh, I'd be interested to see who wins, um, even if even with two uh, loose props. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for joining us on Rookit with myself, Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Don't forget to join us on Friday with an interview with All Blacks captain Sam Kane.